0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's June 24th.
0: Between June 2020 and May 2021, more than 100,000 Americans died from a drug overdose. This is more than twice the number of deaths from motor vehicle accidents or gun violence during the same period. About two thirds of those fatal overdoses involved illegally produced synthetic opioids, primarily fentanyl, which is easy to produce, highly potent, and often laced into heroin and other substances, or pressed into counterfeit pills designed to look like prescription opioids without users' knowledge. As the world prepares to recognize the International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking this Sunday, we're highlighting a unique effort to counter the illegal flow of synthetic opioids into the United States, the Congressional Commission on Combating Synthetic Opioid Trafficking. Rand's David Lucky and Bryce Pardo served on the staff of this commission. In the end, the commission came up with 78 recommendations to reduce both the supply of and the demand for synthetic opioids. The recommendations range from cracking down on money laundering by criminal organizations to exploring ways to help people struggling with substance use. The recommendations also include actions that could, if enacted, yield comprehensive and sustainable results. Including elevating the director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy to a cabinet level position. The commission's final report serves as a roadmap for how to move forward. But policymakers will need to act in order to address this ongoing deadly crisis. And whatever happens next, one thing is clear. A comprehensive approach is necessary. Because synthetic opioids touch every policy domain. They're a national security problem and a homeland security problem because most of these drugs enter the U.S. through Mexico, and China supplies a large portion of the necessary chemicals to make them. Synthetic opioids are also a cybercrime problem, or at minimum a regulatory issue, since the chemicals and the synthetic opioids themselves are advertised and sold online. And of course, synthetic opioids are clearly a public health problem and a health system problem. Put another way, opioids are an everything problem. And it's time to meet that problem where it is. Everywhere.
1: Ukraine is a leading grain exporter, the world's fourth largest before Russia's invasion. But because of Russian blockades around Odessa, Ukraine's grain exports are on the decline. In fact, exports in May were more than 60% lower than they were a year ago, even as global hunger hit a new high. And currently, some 22 million tons of grain could rot if not exported soon. This situation is dire. It's preventing grain from reaching populations who need it most, and risking famine in poor countries. It's worth noting that Russian President Vladimir Putin has claimed that Russia is ready to support the transit of these goods, But if such an agreement cannot be quickly negotiated, then how might the international community respond? RAND experts say that the navies of willing nations could escort grain shipments between ports around Odessa and the Turkish Straits. Such a mission could even be completed without Russian cooperation, and at what might be an acceptable risk. For example, although Russia could find and target shipping in the Black Sea, the window of vulnerability is relatively short. Transit along the western edge of the sea to the Turkish Straits is only 388 miles, and this transit remains in or near territorial waters of Ukraine and NATO allies. This means that Russia's ability to prohibit this shipping may be limited. Additionally, any modern navy with reasonably capable air defense ships could protect shipping along the western edge of the Black Sea from a range of Russian air and missile threats. Ultimately, the international community may determine that averting famine in poor areas is worth the risks of undertaking a humanitarian mission in the Black Sea.
0: Compared with white Americans, black Americans have higher rates of sleep problems, as well as higher rates and earlier onset of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. A new RAND study finds that among a group of low-income African Americans, more fragmented sleep and longer periods of wakefulness after bedtime were associated with lower cognitive function, such as poorer attention. Researchers from RAND and the University of Pittsburgh studied this group of 216 Black adults aged 50 and older over a five-year period, from 2013 to 2018. The findings suggest that improving sleep health may support the prevention of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, as well as the reduction of other health disparities. And the findings add to a growing body of evidence suggesting that sleep health is an important and understudied factor contributing to the disproportionate burden of dementias that falls on African Americans and socioeconomically disadvantaged people.
1: Access to and availability of mental health services are essential to supporting people living with psychiatric disorders. In a typical year, about 20% of people will have a psychiatric disorder, and about 5% will experience serious psychological distress, indicating a potentially serious mental illness. But use of mental health services in the United States is low, and it's not equitably distributed. Non-Hispanic white people are more likely to use such services than non-Hispanic black people or Hispanic people. And in New York City, these inequities are especially difficult to overcome given the size of the population and its diversity in income, culture, ethnicity, and language. A new RAND report looks at the availability of mental health services in New York and what makes them harder or easier for people to use. Based on interviews with mental health care professionals, the authors of the report identify two main barriers to accessing services in the city. First, there are provider shortages in underserved communities, and these shortages are acute for all types of clinicians. What's more, the pandemic has exacerbated the workforce shortage. Second, there's a need for greater integration among agencies and settings that provide services to people with mental health conditions. These include schools, jails, and shelters, all of which face challenges when trying to link people with mental health problems to specialized treatment. The authors also find that patients often struggled to find resources and to schedule appointments, and that the availability of services, the use of those services, and the total capacity of mental health services varied across the city. To address these and other issues, policymakers and leaders should support ongoing efforts to increase clinical training in mental health fields, expand the role of peers in providing services, and improve wages and benefits for workers in mental health facilities. It's also important to focus on acquiring more data to better understand which areas of the city need greater access to mental health services. Finally, the city can play a role in addressing quality of care issues by working with state regulatory agencies on quality assessment and disseminating evidence-based treatment models to clinics.
0: The metaverse. What is it, exactly? If you're drawing a blank, there's a good reason. The meaning of metaverse remains unclear. There is no agreed-upon definition. However, when the term metaverse is used— It often describes anything that blends augmented reality, virtual reality, digital avatars, and blockchain technologies. And these descriptions of the metaverse typically come from the perspectives of private companies. For example, Meta, formerly Facebook, described the metaverse as, quote, an embodied internet where you are in the experience, not just looking at it. Microsoft described the metaverse as being, quote, Made up of digital twins, simulated environments, and mixed reality. So while there are certainly some common themes among these and other descriptions, a standard, concise, and coherent definition of what the metaverse is and isn't is still lacking. According to Swapti Chowdhury of the Party Rand Graduate School and Rand researcher Timothy Marler, This lack of clarity stifles much needed discussion about technology development, opportunities, and risks. This includes important discussions about how to mitigate the potential adverse effects of the metaverse. Because while there are certainly benefits to the use of emerging technologies that make up the metaverse, the negative effects of social media, gig platforms, and virtual or augmented reality showed that it may be prudent for lawmakers to start considering regulations that can both foster innovation and protect society from any potential dangers.
1: Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We're off next week, but we'll be back in your feed on july 8th. See you then.